You know, after having all these kids here, up here, and we just clap for them all. I, I just feel like I want to clap for everything now. Laura, yeah, she read the scripture, you know, she clapped for me. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we pray that today you will move among us. Let your Holy Spirit stir in our minds and hearts. Lord, we don't want uh, your word to just sort of hit us and glance off. We want it to sink deeply into our lives. And uh, that it'll stay there and it'll take root and ultimately bear fruit in who we are in our life with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, y'all been watching the Olympics? Huh, right? You've got uh, Katie Ledecky. Where did she come from? And Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, all the others. And so we've been keeping our Olympic spirit going here at Faith Westwood with our series, Godliness, Go for the Gold. Uh, here's a guy. Some of, I don't know if any of you saw him. The uh, uh, U.S. diver, David Badaya. Uh, and so anyway, when he, when he was a little kid, David was a gymnastics-like phenom. When he was five years old, he could do five back handsprings. And uh, when he was seven years old, it was when uh, the Olympics were in Atlanta, and he just was kind of wowed by it and, and wanted someday to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. Well, as he got a little older, uh, he'd kind of switched from gymnastics to diving. And by the time he was in his teenage years, he was already a world-class uh, diver. Um, so he made the Olympic team in 2008 and went to Beijing, did not win a medal. Uh, after Beijing, uh, he started his freshman year at Purdue University, where he was kind of, you know, rock star athlete on campus. Uh, he went through that first year of college, and then by the beginning of his sophomore year, you know, a lot of that had just kind of grown cold on him. You know, all of that fame and the, the um, success, I mean, it just, it wasn't what he'd hoped it would be. You know, it didn't, it didn't bring the fulfillment that he longed for, having people all around know who he is and praise him all the time and, and uh, you know, just doesn't bring satisfaction anymore. The, the college party scene that he'd gotten so into the, the first year, it just no longer brought fulfillment. So he became depressed. He had... He had recurring thoughts of suicide. Fortunately, he reached out to his diving coach and also to his coach's wife, who had also been a competitive diver, and they, they could see what David was going through. And, and so they shared with him what had brought the, what peace and purpose into their lives and that they had found through Jesus. And so they shared all that with him, and, and, and David began to to see, it's like God had been preparing his heart and he was receptive. And so he, he, he repented, he turned his back on all of that self-centeredness and, and uh, decided to put Jesus at the center of his life. Well, that was a big turning point for him, but still David struggled, you know, with being prideful and selfish, but over time, gradually his faith deepened 
And he learned to, to walk by the Spirit. And eventually he matured enough to understand it, that he didn't have to let his life be held hostage to his emotions at the moment. Well, 2012, the London Olympics. You know, David won gold on the 10-meter platform. Suddenly he was famous. He was being asked to, you know, be a guest at talk shows. Uh, he was signing tons of autographs everywhere he went. And he started to bask in all of that glory. So he realized that he had to, he had to push back. He had to battle that a little bit and realize that, that he was never going to find satisfaction in that kind of glory. Well, this last week, I don't know about some of you, but I watched as David Bedaya and uh, Steele Johnson won the silver medal for synchronized diving. And this, after their, uh, you know, after their performance, the, the, the reporter asked them, well, what did it mean to you to come out and medal here for the synchro event? Here's what David said. He said, yeah, I, I just think the past week there's been just an enormous amount of pressure, and I felt it. You know, it, it's, it's just an identity crisis. When, when my mind is on this and thinking that all of this defines me, then, then my mind goes crazy. But, and he turned to his, his friend, Steele Johnson, and said, but we both know our identity is in Christ. On Saturday, I believe it's Saturday, that David will defend his gold medal on the 10-meter platform. Now, on Friday, we watched uh, first-time Olympian, 23-year-old Maya Dorado. Did any of you see her? Yeah. Woo! She won a gold medal just by barely out-touching another swimmer. And did you see it when, they, when she was on the metal platform and they played the national anthem? She started to sing. And a few times, she just couldn't hold back. She just started giggling. Just out of pure joy that she couldn't hold back. This was, by the way, her fourth medal. Uh, she also won gold on a relay team plus an individual uh, silver and bronze. Now, Maya grew up going to church. As she got a little older into high school, she began to ask some really deep questions and have some serious doubts about faith. But fortunately, her parents, instead of overreacting, they encouraged her in her questions. And so uh, Maya ended up doing a lot of reading and investigating, and she visited with a lot of people who were mentors for her. And eventually, she came to the point where she could own that faith for herself. To follow Jesus and to know him. Here's what Maya says. She says, it's been a long journey since that time. But Jesus has been a constant as I grow and see him shaping me in new ways. She says, knowing I'm a child of God and that his love for me is determined by nothing I can do or achieve on my own has given me a quiet confidence and then she adds this as for my swimming career my faith has helped me remember that there are so many more important things in life worth doing swimming is a 
pretty selfish activity. And so I've always known that it can't be my whole world. What's on display for the world to see in some of these young athletes is what the Bible calls godliness. Godliness. We have a theme verse for this series. It's from 1 Timothy, and it was part of the scripture that Laura read for us a little bit ago. Uh, We'll put it up here on the screen, and uh, let's all say it together. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. There's value in physical training. It's good for you, but much more valuable is spiritual training. Developing a godly life will bring blessings to you over and over. You know, I've been coming across stories of some of these various athletes like um, Maya Dorado, David Budaya, and one thing that stands out to me is that their spiritual development did not happen alone. Other people were a huge part of it. Um, Coaches, mentors, family, friends, I think about uh, my faith walk group, uh, guys that meet on Thursdays, and, and I feel like more and more we're becoming a team. And we really are, uh, we're there to encourage one another, to get into the game and to, and to do well, and if we fail, we encourage each other and to, to let it aside and move on. And that's what happened with, with John Wesley and the other early Methodists nearly 300 years ago. They would get together in a group every week. And they would share with each other how it's going. You know, they share about their, their sins and their temptations, and they would encourage one another. You see, their aim was holiness. Their goal was godliness. And they knew it wasn't going to happen just by sitting by themselves alone at home. What is godliness? Last week, we, we learned that it's simply this, and I'm going to have you say it with me. What is godliness? A God-filled, God-honoring life. A God-filled, God-honoring life. I want to share with you a video that um, is of a former Olympian that many of you will recognize uh, from the Winter Games, both when he was a, a competitor and then later as an announcer. Scott Hamilton was a world champion figure skater for 16 consecutive years. When he was a boy though he was in and out of the hospital because for some reason they couldn't figure out he stopped growing by the time he was a well-known skater his mom died of cancer it was it was really a tough loss for him and then um, he himself got testicular cancer which he survived but it was also hard because he didn't understand why he survived and his mom didn't. As his Olympic career uh, came to a close, he started going to church with his girlfriend, Tracy. And he remembers the day that he met with a pastor and the pastor says, the thing you need to know, Scott, about Christianity is that it's a faith built on history. And he thought about that. It really got his attention, made him curious. 
Scott and Tracy were married in 2002, but as it turns out, Scott's health problems were not over. What we're going to see now are the last six minutes of a video featuring Scott Hamilton. Let's watch. I thought I paid my health dues when I had cancer, but this was a whole other issue. Uh, I have a brain tumor. How do I tell my wife? And we have a 14-month-old son. How do, I, how do I tell my wife that I have a brain tumor? I'd just gotten the news an hour before. I met them at the hotel, and I, she goes, what's going on? And I said, I have a brain tumor. And she took my hands, and without hesitation, she just started to pray. And it was in that moment I knew where I was going to put everything. My trust, my faith, everything. So the most powerful moment of my life. From that moment forward, we just said, whatever it is, whatever it takes, we'll face this. When they're gonna do a biopsy, they tell you, we're gonna drill a hole in your head, and then we're gonna take um, a needle down through your brain and take a piece of the tumor. <laughs> they said, we seem to have found a safe corridor <laughs> to do this. And I go, well, I'm not using most of it, but um, they tell you all the things that can go wrong in that surgery. And I remember waking up, and I looked at the clock, and it was 10.20. I knew where I was, and then the next thing I saw was my wife come in with a smile on her face. She said, they know what it is. And they found out that that brain tumor was one that I was born with, one that I'd had since birth, which inhibited my growth as a young child. That was the mysterious illness I had that they never diagnosed that got me into skating. Who would I be? without a brain tumor. I'm five foot four. If I were five eight, if I would have grown those years, five ten, where would I be? Who would I be? I could choose to look at it as debilitating, could choose to focus on the suffering. I choose to look at that brain tumor as the greatest gift I could have gotten because it made everything else possible. I didn't see past it this time. I didn't think I would survive. One point I was starting to really feel weak. And one nurse in particular, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just was uncomfortable. And she was, can, can I get you anything? And I, I just said, no. I go, I'm just a little scared. She said, do you pray? I said, yes. And she said, what do you say when you pray? I go, well, I just, I just thank God for all the blessings in my life. Do you ask him for anything? No. I just, I just want him to know I'm grateful. I'm grateful. 
well, who is God to you? And I said, well, I, I guess he's, he's my father. Oh, you're a father, right? Yes. If one of your children were hurting, wouldn't you want him to come to you for comfort, strength? Yes. So I change the way I pray now. I ask, uninhibitedly, I ask. I ask to heal. I ask for strength. I ask for courage. I ask for another child. I want to talk about miracles. It's after surviving the pituitary brain tumor. It's impossible, practically impossible. I did six injections a week for two years. No luck. We're not meant to have another child. We gave that to God. A month later, we found out that Max was on his way. Miracle Max. When I look back and I see all those little moments in my life where I needed a great deal of strength, I understand that through a strong relationship with Jesus, you can endure anything. I just learned that the only true disability in life is a bad attitude. God is there to guide you through the tough spots. God was there every single time. <laughs> every single time. My name is Scott Hamilton, and I am second. He says earlier in the video, he says, you know, I think I'm known more now for my health problems than anything I ever did on skates. Well, I'm not sure that's true, but his life has not been easy. And who knows what's in store for him in the future? He doesn't know. But he's come to believe that whatever happens, God will be there every single time. And he's discovering the joy and the peace that comes from, from living a, a God-filled, God-honoring life. Please open your Bible with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, you bring your Bible, that is awesome. I'm proud of you. And, and also, you, we have plenty of pew Bibles, hopefully in, in the racks. And uh, on the pew Bibles, page 1194. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible... We love to give, it, give Bibles away. Just take that pew Bible home. It's in your hand. Just, it's yours for keeps, okay? Now, most Olympic athletes are young, right? I mean, Simone Biles is 16. There's a, there's a swimmer from, Re, from uh, Nepal at Rio. She's the youngest uh, this year at the Games. She's 13 years old. And the oldest Olympians are usually those in the equestrian events, uh, Mary Hannah from Australia is the oldest Olympian this year at age 61. But whatever your age, we all can grow in godliness. Now, hopefully you found uh, 1 Timothy 4.12. These are Paul's words to his younger friend, uh, uh, younger friend Timothy. Let's say it together. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
Godliness is for everyone. Everybody who belongs to Jesus, uh, God wants to take you on this path to to show you and give you a a God-filled, God-honoring life. And you young people, you might be the ones to set an example for the rest of us. And I especially love how this verse lays out five areas of our lives that we want to be God-filled and God-honoring. Starts with speech. Probably because this is the most challenging, right? Uh, Jesus' brother James says, if you can learn to master your mouth, the rest of you will follow. Pretty good advice, right? And then comes conduct, which is simply the manner in which we conduct ourselves, how we live our lives. Uh, After Maya Dorado won her last uh, medal, I heard the TV announcers uh, comment about her, and they just, they just had so much admiration for her, about her composure, her confidence, her humility, and uh, she, she was clearly setting an example by speech and conduct. And you can't be godly without love. If love's missing, then it won't be a God-filled, God-honoring life. And once we get gripped by God's love and it kind of pours, gets poured into us, we want to spread it out to others. Love reaches out to people even when we don't agree with them. Love doesn't write people off because of the things they've done and their sins. Love keeps believing and hoping for the best in people. Now, next is to be an example in faith. One of the things that I've just really discovered as I've been watching the Olympics this summer is how how many of these competitors are people of faith? How many of them belong to Jesus and will will give a little word, a short word of testimony about that? Did you see the American woman who won the shot put the other night? You know, she won the shot put and, and then as he was interviewed, uh, she said that her true victory is in the Lord. I thought, okay. This is a little touch. It wasn't, didn't, didn't, wasn't really pushy, but she's just, just a little example of faith. Uh, and then finally, godliness means purity. And the word that they, is used for purity here doesn't mean just sexual purity. It's not a code word for that. It means to be sin-free in all areas of life, to aim for that. Jesus was pure, and we want to be like him. And so the more that we talk with him and know him and follow him and believe in him, the closer we come to that, the more it becomes part of our lives. And so this is what godliness looks like. Godliness aims to, let's put the next slide up if we could. Godliness aims to be God-filled and God-honoring in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Let's say that together, shall we? Godliness aims to be God-filled and God-honoring in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And with the power of God in your life and with others around you who are walking that same path, I want you to know this is not out of reach for any of you. For any of us, you can become that kind of person. That's what Jesus came for. Six weeks from today, 
we're going to start a new series, which I believe is going to be an opportunity for us to, to really grow in one dimension of our faith and walk with Christ, and that is hope. The Bible talks about, you know, three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Well, uh, as my friend Ron Dotzler says, a lot of times in the church we focus on faith and love, and we kind of skip over hope. Well, we're not going to skip over hope this fall, um, and uh, because hope is so powerful, we, we can't live without hope. So on December 25th, we're going to start this series, 50 Days of Unleashing Hope, and we're going to be using this book, which I know you're going to love, called The Hope Quotient. Uh, you'll be able to pick one up starting September 4th. And... It's always great to have a team with you, right? So you can do your best. And so if you're uh, not in a group, this would be an awesome time this fall to get into a group. Or you can even start a group. You know, just get a few friends together and, you know, say, okay, we're going to be a group. And you can, you know, all the content comes from the book and the Sunday messages. And there will be a, a study guide that you uh, will give you to so you kind of walk through the questions and just, just visit about it. Now, I want to wrap up this series by, by sharing one more story about the most decorated Olympian in history. And you all know who that is. Michael Phelps is admired all over the world. Matter of fact, this, this photo, though, was taken during the trials here in Omaha. Um, at age 15... Uh, Michael qualified for the Olympic team that went to Sydney, but he didn't, he didn't win a medal. So, you know, 15 years old and only got fifth place. Well, well, too bad. But anyway, in 2004 in Athens, Michael won big. Eight medals, six of them gold. He won eight more, all gold in Beijing. At the London Olympics, he won six more, four gold and two silver. Today now... His personal medal count is 28, with 23 of them being gold. The second place person doesn't have half as many. But that's not the whole story. Over the years, Michael Phelps has battled substance abuse. Michael says, I was a train wreck. He says, I, I was like a time bomb. Um, waiting to go off. He said, I had no self-esteem. I had no self-worth. He said, there were days I didn't want to be here. It was not good. I felt lost. If a gold medal could give you self-worth, if a gold medal could give you self-esteem, then Michael would have had plenty. But he didn't. In 2009, a photo was published of him at a party smoking an illegal substance. Well, because of that, he lost a big corporate sponsor. He, um, he was removed from competitive swimming for three months. Two years ago, he was pulled over for speeding and kind of winding all over the road. He was arrested for drunk driving, his second offense. And in the days following that, he just kind of shut down. He just stayed in his bedroom. He didn't eat. He hardly slept. He just 
stayed there thinking, you know, how, how many times am I going to mess up like this? Maybe the world would be better without me. And then his, his Christian friend, uh, former NFL star Ray Lewis, showed up. And Ray got in his face and said, this is when we fight. This is when real character shows up. Don't shut down, Michael. If you shut down, we all lose. And he convinced Michael to get into treatment. As he left to go into treatment, Michael took the book that, that Ray had given him, Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. A couple days into treatment, Michael called Ray, just all excited. He said, man, this book is crazy, in a good way. <laughs> he said, you know, the thing's going on. I, oh, my gosh, my brain. I, I, I can't thank you freaking enough, man. You saved my life. Michael recently told ESPN Magazine that this book, quote, turned me into believing there is a power greater than myself and that there is a purpose for me on this planet. Did you notice, if you saw it last night, after he won his final gold medal, he was being interviewed. He said that yesterday he had talked to his friend Ray Lewis. Kind of like, I don't know if you noticed, but he just kind of turned to the camera because he said, I know, that he, I know that he's watching. He's kind of like he looked at him. Now, like the rest of us, I'm sure that, that Michael Phelps is a work in progress. But godliness means that's what we do. We aim for progress. There is a purpose for you. There is a power uh, that is greater than you that will help you live a God-filled, God-honoring life. Is that what you'd like? It, the Lord offers it to you. A God-filled, God-honoring life in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, in faith, in purity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, sometimes uh, our lives get kind of way off the map and we, we, we're sort of driving, swerving around and sometimes we get into the ditch and, and we don't know where to turn. We just feel like we've messed up so much, there's no hope. Or maybe we just feel like uh, all, we deserve all the glory we've gotten and all the, all the praise. And so we, but then we realize what an empty promise that is. And so, Lord, we have to turn to you. You are the hope of, of our lives. You're the one that we believe you are the power greater that can lift us up. And so, Lord, we ask you for that. Come and meet us where we are and uh, pour your Holy Spirit into us. Pour your life and love into us. Make your home in us through the Holy Spirit. 
And for some of you today, you realize, okay, when it comes to walking with Jesus and knowing him, you've sort of been on the outside. Maybe you've been on the fringe, but it's never been quite there with you. But you're ready today. You say, okay, now I know this is what I need. This is what I want. This is, what, this is the hope of my life. Would you just raise your hand and, uh, even as we continue to pray? Thank you. A number of you, a number of hands up. Lord, for all of us who have raised our hands and many others who are about to right now, we just say, Lord, we give you ourselves. Take us where yours. Uh, reclaim us, redeem us, restore us, and lead us to put us on that path. Uh, let the change begin today, but Lord, lead us day by day so that we can make progress in godliness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.